Hey, I'm Taylor Dorson, and this is the Professional Technical Interviewee. Technical interviews are hard, and every company does them differently. On this show, I interview engineering leaders to see what they look for in technical candidates, and then they perform a real technical interview with me. I hope you enjoy. Tyson, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm excited to chat here. Um, to, to intro your background, it's Tyson Kunoski is the, the guest today, currently the CEO and co-founder of AutoCloud. Before that, you were the CTO, senior engineer, um, uh, engineering manager at a number of consulting companies like Slalom, um, Lambda, and Inspire 11. Did I miss anything? <laughs> I think we're good to go. Cool. Great. Well, can you share a little bit about AutoCloud and kind of what, what um, the company looks like and kind of the, the tech stack as well? Yeah, absolutely. So I might be a little bit biased, but I think AutoCloud's a pretty interesting company. Basically, what we do is we take all of your data from different cloud providers that you might be running on, AWS, Azure, GCP, Kubernetes, et cetera. We synthesize that and we allow you to query that data using a single GraphQL API in order to get back a host of insights from security, compliance, governance, billing, et cetera. We also have a pretty cool 3D visualization layer that is essentially auto-generated documentation for your systems. And we can layer on really powerful insights on top of there. So we built AutoCloud for companies that are running workloads on AWS, Azure, and GCP to create these regular database snapshots of your multi-environment or multi-cloud footprint so that engineers and their managers can get instant reports and insights on those subjects that I previously mentioned. In nice. terms of kind of the, the tech stack and what that looks like, um, we're a TypeScript shop. So on the front end, we leverage React, we use Material UI, Apollo clients on the back end, we have a series of different microservices. Um, we leverage uh, Prisma, the ORM, not the Palo Alto product for our uh, GraphQL ORM. We have um, a really interesting graph database that we use called dgraph, which is essentially an internet scale graph database that you can write literal GraphQL queries and mutations against in order to get your data in and out. We also have a relational Postgres database, and then we run on AWS ourselves. Everything is in Kubernetes with Terraform, so we run, in, run on EKS. Um, that's a little bit about the company, about the tech stack. Yeah, that's great. And I think that's um, useful. And so we've had one or two guests that have a little bit more of a DevOpsy cloud background. So it's always kind of interesting. Um, I, I always say that that whole industry it feels like over the last five, really maybe five to 10 years, it's kind of developed so much, right? Where where a lot of these technologies didn't exist right, 10 years ago. And now it's like this whole company's spun up around basically assisting with a lot of this this cloud work and um, making a lot of this, I think, very complex stuff simpler, right? And more straightforward for companies. Exactly. I think the, complex, the complexity has just become exponential. I remember back to 2015, I think, when I was at Slalom and Lambda had just been released, um, I remember that we accidentally took down all of US East 1 with Lambda for a project that we were working on over there. Um, AWS was not super happy about that. But to your point, it just becomes so complex. Mm -hmm. And especially as we move to, to more of a remote-driven culture with the necessity from COVID, um, you know, we just have all these workloads being deployed. 
you have this exponential complexity. Things are really hard to understand. Who changed what when? Where is this running? How is this configured? Is this secure? Right? It just has become really challenging over the last decade, to your point, with this, with the introduction of new services. AWS has hundreds of services, same with Azure and GCP, to not only stay on top of all those changes and what's happening, but just have that general understanding and data access in an easy fashion. So we hope that the future will be a little bit simpler. Yeah, we can only hope, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, what was your pathway in the technology? Is it traditional computer science background or more self-taught or what did that look like? Yeah, so it's actually an interesting story. I started in high school, um, just basic HTML and CSS. Um, my parents helped found a company called the Gottman Institute. And I could talk about this for a long time, but I'll keep it short. It's a really fascinating company. So the premise is there was a famous relationship researcher named Dr. John Gottman, and he and his wife, Julie Gottman, studied couples' relationships for almost 40 years. And my stepmother helped found the company with them in the early 90s. Basically, what they can do is they can predict with 90% accuracy whether a couple will stay together or get divorced just by watching them fight for 15 minutes, which uh, has always intimidated a lot of my friends from having relationship <laughs> conversations with my parents. So... Basically, what I did in my path into technology was I helped them digitize and bring to market several products around the various workshops, seminars, and books that they'd previously written, just because that was a great way to expand our reach and make sure that we could help even more couples. So um, I believe we worked, I worked with them on the first ever digital product. It was a Rails app. I think this was Rails 2 back in 2006 or 7, I want to say. Um, in order to build a relationship tech checkup site where couples could answer questions about their relationships and then that information would be given to therapists in order to score how well the relationship was doing and figure out any problems that they might have with their relationship. So I started from there. Um, I worked for my parents for a few years, kind of building more and more complicated applications. And then after that, I decided to move over to Slalom Consulting and I guess the rest is history. Yeah, that's great. Well, I, I just got married recently, so I, I feel like uh, I should have your parents on the podcast. <laughs> there we go. I'll, yeah. I'll send you a book for how to make marriage work. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> well, so that's interesting. Usually I ask people kind of how they landed their first engineering job, but it sounds like some of this work is basically with your with your family, right? So I think that's a, a unique pathway into it. Um, and it's, it's something a trend I've seen from talking to a lot of guests is, I don't know if it's a strangely high, but a, a very high amount of people didn't necessarily, the first engineering job wasn't necessarily, oh, I graduated from college and then I got my first computer science job, right? It was, I started doing something to at least like build some type of resume, have some knowledge set. And then, yeah, there might've been a, you know, a computer science degree along the way, but usually there was something before that, right? That they were kind of interested in or freelancing on the side. It sounds like that's kind of similar. Yeah, exactly. I think that, you know, you're able to, if you start young and you're curious, just have a wide exposure and things just kind of naturally happen. You like, mm -hmm. oh, JavaScript is interesting. Let's dive in there. Oh, Ruby, interesting. Python, Java, Rust, right? I think that for a lot of folks, if you have the tenacity and the desire to just go learn, you're able to go and pick things up in a reasonable amount of time. And, you know, you're able to kind of forge your own path in that sense. Yeah, that's great. So, 
usually I ask people about how they um, landed their current engineering job, but obviously having helped start the company, right? That's it's kind of a unique path as well. So can you just share a little bit about that? Because I think you were at Inspire 11 before um, starting Autodesk? Auto That's Cloud, correct. Sorry. I would have loved to start Autodesk. Maybe that, can, <laughs> that, can, that can be my, my next claim to fame. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the basic story there was I had a company that I started um, after I left Slalom called Lambda. We helped companies with cloud migrations and we did some custom dev work as well. We were acquired by Inspire Love and I became their head of technology. And my job was essentially to interview and hire people. So I'm excited for our conversation about that a little bit later. Um, and I decided after being there for about a year and a half, almost two years that I was ready to move on to my next opportunity. And time and time again at Inspire, at Slalom, at Lambda, we had been in these large organizations that didn't have a strong cloud competency where maybe they had a lot of colo infrastructure or they had you know, these on-premise applications that were running and they wanted to move to the cloud. So that was usually really tough for them because they lacked the domain expertise to do things in a best practice secure fashion. And as a result, what happens is you have these large organizations, I won't say any names, but uh, a lot of companies uh, around Chicago and the outskirts that have these systems that are built in a suboptimal fashion where maybe they're spending too much money and things aren't optimized from a FinOps perspective or from a security perspective, you have everything from public S3 buckets to load balancers allowing HTTP communication, things of that nature. And maybe the system isn't very scalable or fault tolerant. So the path to AutoCloud was essentially, hey, what if we could build a way that would make it really easy for anybody, regardless of skill, to not only understand everything that they have running in their entire multi-cloud or multi-environment footprint, but access that data and get insights in order to make changes to improve those systems from all kinds of perspectives, whether that be financial or security or compliance, governance, IAM, et cetera. So we started the company shortly after I left Inspire 11. I actually started it with my wife, uh, Evelyn. Um, and we spent a little bit of time doing R&D because there was a very visual component to what we wanted to do. Um, we went through a startup accelerator, so went through the interview process there, graduated, and we're about to announce on Monday that we raised a $4 million round um, from some amazing investors in order to build out the, the future of AutoCloud. So I've skipped over a lot of things to just simplify for the sake of brevity, but gone from engineering to more of a, a business development role um, and looking forward to seeing what the future holds. Yeah, well, congratulations on on the funding. That That's huge uh, and, and seems like a great step, right? Especially it's been, uh, how long has the company been around now? So we've been around for about two years at this point. About two years, yeah, that's great. Fantastic. Yeah. So on that note of um, of interviewing and hiring, right? We did quite a bit of that at uh, at Inspire Eleven. Uh, have you done technical interviews recently? I know you said obviously the team's a little bit smaller, but you were heavily involved in that process at Inspire Eleven, and I'm assuming built out your own team here at at AutoCloud as well. Absolutely. So I like to be very hands on with our technical interviews. Um, I still code on the day to day, although I really shouldn't. I have way much other stuff to do. Um, and I think that. From a high level, we approach interviewing a little bit more differently. And we'll get into this a little bit later as well, where, you know, there's definitely room in the world for asking algorithm questions and doing a merge sort or a heap sorts. Um, 
But fundamentally, what we care about and what I think is important for orgs that are looking for more senior, robust talent is an understanding of just how does this person operate in the day to day? You know, having a conversation about tools they've used, about paradigms, practices, design patterns. What I've done from an auto club perspective is we made our first hire, who was a good friend of mine and our VP of engineering, or, or sorry, our director of engineering. Um, and from there, we put together an interview process that has a coding challenge element. Um, from the coding challenge, we typically do a series of four to five people in a single interview following that to go over and extend that coding challenge that we've done. And then the initial interview conversation I have is one like we'll have a little bit later on that revolves around your general knowledge of developments, um, whether that be front end, back end, DevOps or something else. That's typically the process that we use at AutoCloud and something that I've seen work really well at Inspire 11 and, and other organizations as well. Yeah, great. And what are you typically evaluating for? It sounds like, it seems like you're, at least in your section, you're trying to get a deeper understanding of like kind of, I don't know, the breadths of someone's experience, but maybe also the depths of their experience, right, as well. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So for example, you know, maybe we'll start off the interview and I'll say, hey, so my name's Tyson, excited for you to be here. I think it's also really important, you know, people get really nervous during technical interviews. I've been there myself. I can tell you some horror stories later on and I'm sure we'll get there. But, you know, I like to really just start off and set the conversation be like, hey, don't be nervous. This is just a conversation. Like, it's okay if you are, but like, I want you to feel comfortable in this environment. We can take all the time that you need like, I'm not going to be mean. We'll, you know, we'll go slow. We can ask questions. And I'll typically try and start off with just understanding, engaging their level of expertise. So do you feel strong in the front end? Do you feel strong in the back end? Do you feel strong in DevOps? Kind of where's the area of expertise? And then, for example, if they say the front end, they're like, great, let's talk about the, the front end. Do you use React, Angular, Vue? What's, what's your framework of choice? If we say React, be like, great. So React 18 was just slated for beta release yesterday. Um, tell me a little bit more about what version of React you're using, some of the features, how that works. And by asking questions like this that are relevant to the knowledge and experience that one would need to have on the day-to-day -to, -day to be successful, you can kind of tease out expertise and understand proficiency when it comes to certain tools and technologies. If somebody says they're a React expert or a Vue expert or whatever expert, there's a lot of really deep questions that we can get into that will give a good understanding of, hey, does this person use correct design patterns? Are they managing their state correctly? Are they doing X in a proficient fashion and kind of go from there? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And you mentioned a little bit about this, but the, it seems like the system is standardized um, at this point as far as what the interview process looks like. So it's an initial conversation um, with, with your VP of engineering or your director of engineering. And was it then so a technical... Yeah, I actually do the first conversation myself. I like to get in really early and say, hey, you know, we don't have any recruiters. Um, we're a highly technical team building a highly technical product. I'll do that first conversation. Mm -hmm. From there, we'll just give that coding challenge out. And then the last step will be that actual interview panel where we'll do either kind of knowledge-based questions or a live coding extension of the coding exercise. We'd like to see the coding abilities in real time. Got it. Got it. Great. How do you think in the past you've done in technical interviews, something that you love them, <laughs> hated them somewhere in between? Oh man, they're always, they're all over the place, right? I've mm -hmm. done kind of the big elite tech company, technical interviews. Um, I've obviously interviewed the slalom. 
I haven't had to interview myself technically in quite a while, just because starting a company and then getting acquired, um, there wasn't much of an interview process there. But I think that, you know, I've done decently. <laughs> um, technical interviews can be hard because it's hard to understand what you should prepare for. There's some companies, if you go for, you know, one of the big fang companies where you're going to have to really have your data structures and your algorithms and other trivia type questions about whatever language or framework that you're working with really nailed down. Um, personally, that might work for those companies. I don't feel like that's a great indication of knowledge because those things can be studied really well and you can kind of feign and mock expertise. So um, yeah, I think it's a good idea to really get into the meaty specifics of, of how things are. I definitely flunked my fair share of interviews, you know, back in the day when I was, was interviewing. I think that if I were to go and interview for a random job in some technology stack today, I might be able to get it, but I'd probably need to do some brushing up to make sure that I'm up to snuff. Yeah. Interesting. Do you, do you have any type of system or, or maybe process in place that if you encounter, you know, a question or some type of um, technical um, interview that you're like, Oh, I don't have an immediate answer, right? Or this is something that seems like it may be difficult for me to, to get to. Do you have some type of system that you use to, to break that question down or try to, um, you know, approach it? Oh, absolutely. And I think the process is, is kind of twofold. The first is, you know, when interviewing technically, I think it's really important to study. Um, I think that depending on the company that you're interviewing for, there can be great insights online as to kind of what the typical questions you might get are. Are they more algorithm focused? Are they data structure focused? Are they knowledge focused? Are they more behavioral in nature? You wouldn't go and run a marathon without training and making sure that you can actually do it beforehand. So I'd really urge people to put in the time up front. It sucks. It's boring, right? Nobody likes whiteboarding by themselves in their room, but making sure that you have those good foundations down and then say that you're asked some sort of algorithm or data structure question. I think the most important thing to do, at least from my perspective to start, is I like to take a deep breath, take a step back. And I like to be really communicative when I interview. So I'm like, I'm going to tell you my thought process as I go. To start, I'm just going to take a couple minutes to just think about this in my head, write down any questions that I have for you, and just figure out a general direction in which to start. And then what I'll do is I'll just read back those notes that I've taken, be like, great. So we have a algorithm question that is, you know, writing an algorithm to reverse a string. I don't know, something mm -hmm. like that. Be like, okay, so I'm just confirming my assumptions. Um, here's basically what you've asked me to do. Here's kind of the direction that I'm thinking. Uh, are there any edge cases that you'd like me to consider? You know, non-English characters or, you know, some other random thing that's happening. And then begin writing. I think that, you know, you always want to ask if you should optimize for time or memory, depending on the company, if you're doing an algorithm or data structure uh, question. And then just, you know, being very communicative, talking through, asking questions, really getting the interviewer involved and showing them that you're thinking really critically. Because a lot of times, at least from my experience, it's not about actually getting the question right, although that is a big bonus. It's about understanding the thought process behind what the candidate is thinking and how they're able to react given your question in the situation they find themselves in to come up with a coherent answer that solves the problem. Yeah, I mean, I think that's, that's the crux of what you're actually looking for, right? It's like, what is this 
how does this person think, right? It's difficult to, to glean from a, a relatively short interview, but solving the, the problem and figuring out um, or kind of displaying how you think are almost two totally different things, right? You can do one without the other, certainly, right? Exactly. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, I, I've always, uh, when you mention basically trying to take some time up front to, to think and then be able to like, kind of repeat that back, I, I feel like I'm... I'm always in this spot where I'm a little worried, like if I'm silent for too long, are they thinking like, Oh, they don't know what's going on. Or are they bored or something like that? I think it's actually useful. Like I, I don't do a great job of feeling comfortable in the silence and like just trying to write stuff down and then repeat it out. So I'm always trying to talk at the same time, but I do feel like it is more difficult for many people to be able to think or, or vocalize that while they're actually thinking. Right. So I end up kind of, yeah, half thinking something through rather than maybe taking a little bit of time up front and then being able to kind of get that out all um, in a coherent way afterwards. I would agree. And I think there's, you know, and a, a subtle pressure there, right? You want this job, you know, developers typically it's a high paying field. There's a lot on the line. You probably interviewing with this company for a reason and you really care about it. And when you care about it, you can get, you can get really nervous and you don't want to come off as aloof or as not paying attention or as, you know, not interested. So, you know, I just find over communication in those situations is really good, right? Just let the, be like, Hey, you can even say in an interview, if you're like, Hey, I'm a little bit nervous. I'm just going to take a minute to think about this, or I'm just going to gather my thoughts for a second here. Uh, I'll let you know it like really shortly, but I'm just going to think about this quietly. And as long as you're able to set that initial expectation, in my experience, when I've seen people do that, when I'm interviewing them, I'm actually impressed. Like, okay, great. This person has great communication skills. They're able to control the situation. They're able to put themselves in a path that's going to be successful. So that to me is, is actually a bonus in some situations. Nice. That, that makes a lot of sense. Communicating that I think is very, doing that and communicating it before it is very different than just being silent for three, three minutes, right? And then going, <laughs> great, now I can communicate with you. Yeah. And I've been in that situation too, where people just don't say anything. And I'm like, are you okay? And like, yeah, yeah. I'm like, uh, okay. It'd be nice if you could tell me what's going on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. I think that's the hardest part is on, on both sides of the table, you're not a mind reader, right? So if you're not saying it out loud, basically none of that comes through or the other person just trying to kind of guess based off of body language or, or what they're assuming you're thinking. Right. So I, yeah. Over communication is, is always useful. Absolutely. Do you have any other advice or tips for, for engineers either preparing for technical interviews or maybe going into technical interviews? I, we've got, um, you know, well, by the time this comes out, probably not January, but right now, you know, January is right around the corner and I think lots of people start to think about, okay, well, it's a new year. Should I look for a new job? And they get a million messages from recruiters, right? Yeah. I think like anything, you got to treat it really seriously. I mean, I used the example of running a marathon earlier, or, you know, if you want to go and get a, black belt and karate, you got to train for that too. So I think that preparation is really, really good, right? You want to go and uh, I think it's called cracking the coding challenge, the algorithm and data structure question book. I've found that really helpful myself in the past. I've also, uh, whenever I've been interviewing or attempted to, you know, get a new job, I've made my friends interview me, even if they're not technical, I'll write the questions down. And then I, and I, you know, try and have real type situations where you know they're either asking hard questions or they're doing things like throwing erasers or you know markers at me trying to distract me i think it's really important to put yourself in that mindset that this is real 
and that I'm preparing adequately. And also visualization can be really helpful, right? So closing your eyes, visualizing, okay, I'm in the room, I've done all the preparation, I'm good to go. I've, you know, here's like how I'm gonna break down this question or this category of question if it's asked to me. So I think that the advice I have is just practice. You gotta treat it like a, a full-time job in and of itself. Yeah, you're probably not gonna be able to see your friends as much or go out or do everything that you like, but the benefits are gonna to be totally worth it if you can land that killer next job that's gonna advance your career and make you really happy. Yeah, well, fairly significant pay raise, I think, uh, for people moving jobs fairly often, right? So oh, yeah. um, there's there's a monetary benefit. The visualiza visualization um, portion is interesting to me because it's something that I've never done a, a lot of, um, at least from, from like an interview perspective from athletics in the past. It's something that I, I did, but I do think that so many people, when they're thinking about interviews, a lot of their their mental thought processes are negative, right? It's like, oh, they're going to give me this question I don't know, or oh, you know, what if I don't know how to present X, Y, and Z, right? Um, rather than thinking, oh, they're probably maybe they'll ask me something that I I have actually prepared for, right? Or if they, you know, ask me something I don't know how to do, I'll be able to work through it, right? Like that's not a thought that I think goes through my head very often when I'm thinking about what is this potential interview going to look like. So that's an interesting point that I think I I, I even heard a lot of people mention that. Oh, yeah. I think there's a whole psychological aspect to your point, right? And at athletics, great. So you think of, you know, your football team or whatever sport you played, you'd focus on how you're going to perform on various plays, on how you're going to react in some various situation. I think the same principle applies for, for coding interviews. You can use that to your advantage. I also think it's important to look at it from a positive perspective if you, if you can. Like anything, the first you know, coding interview is going to be terrifying, right? A lot is on the line. Um, it can be really scary. But I think it's interesting if you're able to reshift that paradigm into something positive. Hey, this is a really interesting experience to meet somebody, a really interesting experience to get to know how this person thinks that's interviewing me. Like, I've always wanted to see what this office looks like. I've always wanted to have the opportunity to show off my knowledge. I've studied really hard and I know that I can do this. So I found that when I've been in negative states of mind or I've let anxiety be the driving factor, inevitably you're gonna perform worse, right? Because you're gonna be a little bit anxious, you're not gonna be in your A game, but if you can go in and you can kind of just take a deep breath, settle, be like, you know what? I deserve to be here. Regardless of how this works out, I'm gonna give it my best. I'm gonna have a good time. I'm gonna stay positive. I think that can be really a really powerful thing mentally. And then obviously, as you get more and more experienced and you're interviewing for kind of higher and higher level jobs, it does become easier because you've done it more and more. Mm -hmm. So like anything, it just takes practice and time. Yeah, the practice portion. I'm sure you've seen this um, even recently from a, like a business development perspective. I always recognized when I was recruiting, I had a very similar kind of flow that I was running through or similar kind of script, All this, not necessarily on paper, but most of my calls are roughly the same, right? When I was trying to talk to a new candidate or a new client. And even if I went on a week-long vacation and came back, I was like, oh, this thing that I feel like I'm pretty good at, I'm rusty at, right? Like I, I'm not quite as, as sharp as when I'm doing it every day, right? And I think that's the the same thing with um, with interviewing. Even if you, you know, you're like, ah, I, I got a new job two years ago, right? And then you get back into it, you're like, oh, this has been a little while, right? Like I have to kind of rush up on these skills. Like I know this thing, but I have to practice this uh, a few times. And um, there's some interesting 
there's a company called interviewing.io that has some interesting studies and basically after five mock interviews, right. Um, the, the chances of someone passing a, a technical screen with a fame company goes up, um, you know, something like, like 40 to 50%. Right. And like, that doesn't surprise me at all. Right. Uh, because you just get a lot of those kind of nerves out of the way and you probably have someone tell you, Hey, you do this one thing, right. That you definitely need to address. Right. And you go, okay. Well, fix that and now i can actually um feel like you're communicating effectively right probably operating at near your your potential right oh absolutely i think that's that's great advice i remember you know a parallel in in capital raise so when i was raising vc funding the first five the first 20 conversations i had i just bombed i was terrified i practiced the pitch but i didn't have it down right i wasn't able to react quickly and change slides it just comes with practice. And then after that, you know, the conversation started to go really, really well. And I was like, hmm, really interesting. And it's something that the accelerator that we did in all the literature that we took a look at said as well, be like, look, you're going to have those, the first few interviews, the first few capital conversations are not going to go well. But if you can really dedicate and put yourself out there, shake out the bugs, get out the nerves, then you're going to do great. So I would agree with that sentiment 100%. Actually, one of my favorite things is hearing CEOs talk about their company pre and post funding raise because it's it's much crisper. Uh, you can tell they had you know forty five conversations saying this very similar thing, right? And try to boil it down to a paragraph. That's great. Oh, yeah. uh, do you have different advice or, or similar advice for for early career individuals? Or maybe this is their first job, mm. um, or you know maybe first couple years of their career. Yeah, I think the thing that I would add there is be nice, right? I think that the biggest asset that one can have from as an engineer, aside from the technical knowledge and know how to do things, is the ability to be empathetic. So you got your first job or you're starting to get your first job, treat people really kindly. Treat people how you think that they would want to be treated themselves. And always say yes within reason when you can to new opportunities, new responsibility. It's a great way if there's some sort of committee about architecture that's at your new company or some sort of um, other thing that's going on in order to go and further knowledge for the company or do a lunch and learn or something of that nature. It's a wonderful learning opportunity to put yourself out there, try new things, and it'll get you noticed too. I think that We've all, like, we've all met our share of brilliant engineers who are douchebags, right? There's plenty of people out there that have really high opinions of themselves that are not easy to work with. And you just don't want to become one of those people because ultimately it's going to hinder your career growth and development. If you can be positive, if you can work hard, if you can say yes, and you can really put yourself out there and make an effort to socialize and just be like a nice person and have fun you're going to go really far. People are going to like you. I mean, it's not specifically related to engineering. It's um, Dale Carnegie, I think, How to Win Friends and Influence People. That book's been around for like 100 years, I think. So taking principles and lessons from that book and other books like that on how to just you know be a good person and work nicely and work hard. Um, the other thing that I would say is important is it's a total cliche, but try and be the hardest worker in the room for if you're early career, right? I remember one of my first, um, so I remember back to, to an engineering job that I, that I had. And I remember, you know, at the, at the time I wasn't very knowledgeable. I didn't have a lot of skill with the particular technology that we're using. And 
I was not doing, I was not doing well just because it was taking me a long time to grok and understand how we could specifically do this complex thing that we needed to do. And I remember one day I was like, you know what, screw it. I'm going to come in early and I'm just going to figure this out before anybody gets here. And I arrived before my manager and he was like, Ty, like, I know that you've been struggling and you know, the feedback hasn't been fantastic on how you're doing. The fact that you cared and you showed up and you were here before me and you were trying to figure this out, like this, you got this man, like you're, you're, you're a great fit. You're going to do really good work. So I'm not proposing that you should be a slave and work yourself to death and pull crazy 60 hour weeks, not at all, but work really hard and make sure it gets done. If you can have that level of accountability where somebody knows that they can ask you to take care of a task and you actually get it done as a manager, that's really reassuring because that builds up trust. And trust is something that when it comes time for promotion or a pay raise really factors into those decisions. Mm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think early on being a sponge as much as possible, right? Like how much can you soak up? And, and there's, I don't know, I think we've all seen um, engineers who are a couple of years into their career who grow tremendously, right? Versus some people who just grow, you know, this is obviously still at a learning curve, but, um, but maybe a slower growth. And I think sometimes it's just, hours, right? Just the amount of hours you put in, um, which is there's definitely some downsides. You got to have some work-life balance, but um, I know a, a couple of folks who, you know, they went to startups right after they learned how to code and um, did really well. And, you know, they're three, four years into their career and now they're moving into senior leadership roles, right? Because they just, they put the amount of time and they understand the technology as well as, um, you know, maybe some people who are even done it significantly longer than them, right? Absolutely. It's just so important to, to your point, to be willing to put in the work, right? Yeah. It's, it's work and it's, it's, it's sweat and you're going to have to give up a weekend here and there and work later and do some really challenging things that you just don't understand, but ultimately it'll pay off and pay dividends. Great. Well, before um, we, we move to the technical portion here, do you have any interviewing horror stories you're willing to share? Uh, maybe folks can relate to, I think you, you alluded to some earlier. Yeah, I will. So I won't name the company by name. Um, so I got flown out. So typical big elite tech company. Um, I got flown out to interview with them. Mm-hmm. And before we'd done a coding challenge, it was a live coding challenge. We'd done a round of knowledge questions. There was obviously the behavioral screen and I got flown out and um, it was an all day panel. So your typical, I think six or seven hour interviewing panel, man, was it brutal. So there was, you know, a lot of questions that I got asked that I just didn't really know how to solve. The interviewers weren't very helpful when I asked for suggestions and it just made me feel really stupid because it's like, well, shit, I don't know if I'm going to be able to figure out how to do this. Um, obviously if you're not doing well and you know, you're not doing well, then there's a lot of anxiety. I got really anxious. I think a lot of people can probably relate to those types of situations. Mm -hmm. Um, and it turns out that I crushed the interview and I did it really well, but I didn't get the job. And the reason was that during one of the behavioral portions of the, the interview, um, they asked me kind of, you know, where I saw typical, where do you see yourself in five years? And I answered honestly, which was that in five years, I'm going to be, you know, the head of the CEO or the CTO of my own company. And, you know, I'm not sure what that is yet, but I want to be here for a few years to learn as much as possible. And then I'm going to move on and do my own thing, which I guess I've done. <laughs> um, so the, you know, the recruiter's feedback was you nailed the technical portion. You did really well. 
but the leadership didn't like the fact that you uh, you said you weren't going to be here in you know a few years and sorry you're not going to get the job. So that was a really really uh, negative one. And then I remember I had an oh god this one was embarrassing. I had a um, I had an interview and again it was kind of an all day panel thing and um, I remember going in and the interview and the questions were in a language that I just didn't know. They were, it was .NET, all .NET related, all Microsoft stuff related. And I don't know where the miscommunication had been with the recruiter. Recruiters make sure to verify that your candidates know what you're interviewing for. And I was not, you know, I was under the impression that I was interviewing for, for a different kind of role. So we get in the interview and immediately, it's just not what I'm expecting. And I, you know, explain that and be like, oh, okay, it's fine. So we did like two interviews. I was supposed to have lunch with their VP and they're just like, you know, it's okay. We don't need to do lunch. Like we'll, we'll let you know how everything goes. And I was like, okay, obviously I'm not gonna get that job. So that was kind of an embarrassing, awkward situation, but we all have them, right? I think the takeaway is you, you have the bad interview. Everybody's going to do it. You learn as much as you can to not make those mistakes. Again, you double check things with recruiters. Sometimes you might need to brush up on a specific area of technical expertise and then next time you won't make the mistake. So it's all a learning experience. That's my takeaway. Yeah, that's great. And and don't tell fan companies you want to start your own start your own company in a couple of years. Well, we'll we'll see. <laughs> yeah. Great. Well then let's take uh anything else to add um for, for folks uh interview related or prep related? Stay positive, work hard, put in the hours, and treat it like a full time job. Yeah. Great. Well, then let's take a break and then we'll come back and move into the technical portion. All right. Sounds good. Thank you for watching the first half of the professional technical interviewee. The technical interview will be released one week from this episode. So be sure to subscribe to make sure you don't miss it. New episodes are released on the first four Thursdays of each month. Find us on YouTube at youtube.com slash or on Apple podcast or Spotify. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out on new episodes. And remember, keep practicing.